0: Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church podcast. Now let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together.
1: Good morning. That's a great song. Uh, you know we sing that, and I don't know. I couldn't hear you singing, but if you sang that song, you sang "I Believe in Jesus," and uh, it's easy to sing, isn't it? Uh, it, it? It's a it's a good song and we sing, I believe in Jesus. And, but here's, here's what happens, that, that we sing those songs and then life happens, right? And uh, we have to make a decision, do I really believe in Jesus or not? Because it's one thing to sing it, it's one thing to say it, uh, it it's another thing when life gets challenging, when things that we take for granted are, are different, uh, when life gets difficult, to, to then to understand what is it that I really b- believe do I really believe Jesus do I really believe Jesus is bigger than my circumstances do I really believe that he's able to to keep me and to walk with me and so we we find ourselves in times of challenge in our lives really tested do I really believe this and and so this morning uh, we're going to start this series called good news for everyone because we believe that the that the story of Jesus, that the life of Christ is really good news for everyone. But for those of us who, uh, you know, are here on a regular basis, for those of us who, who claim to believe in Jesus, I think it's also going to test us and challenge us to, to be really confident and really sure, what, what do I really believe? Um, do I really believe in Jesus or have I just gotten comfortable singing about him? Uh, have I gotten comfortable talking about him, but do I really believe him? When when my life is challenged, when my life gets hard, when things don't go uh, my way, what do I really believe? And so we're going to be talking about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about that good news, uh, and it's good news for everybody, and we're going to do that out of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, so for the next weeks, we're going to be walking through the Gospel of Mark and looking at the life of Jesus. Now Mark, just for a little bit of information, uh, is often called John Mark. Uh, he uh, scholars are very convinced that John Mark wrote this book uh, that it was dictated to him a lot of it was dictated to him or he'd gotten from Peter and, and there's some reasons that even the even the language that that's used in this book is similar to the language that we read and in Peter's great sermon uh, so the style all of those things are similar the stories are similar and, and as you read it there's a couple of things that you'll 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 be aware of. Uh, One is that Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. You're welcome. And uh, so if you're starting a Bible plan, you wanna read through the New Testament, uh, start with Mark so that you kind of have a better shot at getting through it. You don't get discouraged fast and and, and you read Mark and then you kind of move on from there. Uh, But it's the shortest, it's succinct, it's passionate, it's very much like Peter. One of the other things that Mark is known for is that Mark doesn't highlight all of Peter's great uh, achievements. Uh, that that's not how Peter talked about himself, that's not how he thought about himself, but it does highlight some of his biggest failures. And and so it's really raw and it's really honest. And so Mark gets his information from Peter. He records this book for us because he wants us to understand who Christ is. Um, One of the other things that you'll see, and this is a classic Peter, is in in the first chapter, the word immediately in the ESV, it's translated uh, in the ESV. Um, The word immediately we see seven times in the first chapter. And and that's classic Peter, isn't it? Everything was fast, everything was immediate, everything had to happen right now. And so as you read through that first chapter, you'll see the word immediately appear uh, seven different times that immediately they got up and left. Immediately she was healed. Uh, Immediately she started to serve. You'll see that word again and again because things are happening fast and we're gonna follow Jesus through this story along with the disciples. Uh, It begins with this, in the beginning, in verse 1 of Mark 1, in the beginning of, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel means good news, hence our theme, good news for everyone. So gospel means good news. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we get a lot of information right away. uh, As written in in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so here's a prophecy hundreds of years before the birth of Christ that said somebody before the Messiah comes Before the Christ comes, somebody is going to be coming, and their job is to prepare the way. Now, if you were living in the first century, you would understand exactly what that meant, because if if the word got out that the king was coming to your city, if the king was coming to your area, there would be workers that would be sent out to prepare the road, and their job was to dig out the rocks to smooth it so that when the king came to your city, it was the smoothest, nicest road possible John the Baptist was John Baptist was sent to prepare the path to prepare the way for Jesus and so in verse 4 John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so the very first thing that John does is he says we have been going the wrong direction as a nation we need to turn around and we need to be prepared for the coming of the Christ the coming of the Messiah And so he was proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins and all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. John was an interesting character, right? Uh, That he was unique. That when John showed up he attracted some attention. People kind of wondered, who is this guy? What's he doing here? And then he had this one-string guitar that he would play that was repent and be baptized. Repent. Turn from your sins because something is about to happen and you don't want to miss it. Someone is coming and when he gets here, you don't want to miss, miss him. So get ready. Turn around. Be prepared. Uh, that was his message. He preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So throughout Jewish history, throughout the history of Judah and Israel and all around, they had been waiting for the Messiah. They had been waiting for the one. So naturally when John shows up with his camel hair and, uh, and actually in the 70s, that was a style. But I don't know if you, any of you remember that, but <laughs> just look at my wedding pictures. But he came preaching this message and, uh, and proclaiming repentance and calling people to turn around uh, and follow Jesus. And so naturally people said, are you the one? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Are you the one that's been prophesied? are you the Messiah? And John's John's message was no, I'm not the one. I'm here to prepare the way. I'm not even I, I, I'm not even important enough to tie his shoes. When he comes, he will be so much greater. And I'm baptizing you in water, but he's gonna baptize you in something else that you're gonna experience the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is coming. Be prepared, be ready. That's his message. Now we continue in verse nine, it says, "'In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up from the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, "'You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased.'" This is such an important event. This is not only the inaugural event of Jesus' mission on earth, but it's an important message for us as well because here's what we have. We have the Son of God who knew no sin, but came down. God came down to be with us. Um, Emmanuel, God with us. He came down and he experienced life that we experience. And Jesus didn't get baptized because he needed forgiveness of sin. He got baptized because we needed to identify with the Messiah. He came to identify with us. He came to show us the way. And so when Jesus came, he was baptized. And if you read other accounts, uh, it will say that John tried to get, keep him from being baptized. John tried to say, no, no, don't! I can't baptize you. Why would I baptize you? And Jesus said, this is what I came for. God came to earth for us to experience life that, and we could be related. You know, we talk about this at Christmas. Why was Jesus born in a manger? And the first people that saw him, the first people that met him were shepherds. The, the shepherds, the poor, the outcast, the illiterate. It was because when God came in the person of Jesus Christ, he came and said, I wanna be accessible. I'm going to be accessible to everyone. Nobody's gonna be left out of the good news. Nobody's, uh, you don't have to have a great resume to get the good news. You don't have to be a powerful person to hear the good news that I am making myself accessible to my creation, to my people, the people I love. And so these words are important. And, and, you know, people grow up today, and I don't know about your upbringing, but people grow up today without ever hearing hearing a father say, you are my beloved child. Here we have this picture of Jesus coming up out of the water, and, and, and it says heaven was just ripped open, torn open, and a voice came from heaven that said, this is my son, my beloved son, the son that I love with whom I am well pleased. And, and people wait for that. People uh, wait their whole lives to hear their father say that he loves them. And so the first part of the message is we follow this story of Jesus. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. It is that when we come to Jesus, when we come to Christ and, and, and we re- receive new life in Christ, the heavens open, And our Heavenly Father says to us, you're my child, you've become my child, and I am so pleased with you. If you've never heard your earthly father say, I love you, you're my beloved, and I'm pleased with you, just know that your Heavenly Father says that to you. He says, you're my child, and I am so pleased that you showed up. I am so pleased with you today. It's not about all the bad things that we have done, but it's about a loving father who welcomes us home. You are my dear child, and I'm delighted with you. Take just a quick second and read that little line to yourself. But start this now by putting your name in the very first word. Not you are my dear, dear child, but Larry, you're my dear, dear child and I'm delighted in you. And that's what your father says to you this morning. That's part of the message that he wants you to understand. Put put your name at the beginning of that sentence. And then ask yourself, what does that mean? What's that mean to me? What's the Lord saying to me? that's what God wants us to know. And, and it's this experience that Jesus has, it's Jesus going to the water and being baptized by John that, that then prepares him for the next thing that's going to happen. You see, we sort of think we have this, we have this experience, we have this baptism experience. We we have a voice from heaven that says, You're my child and I'm delighted in you. And then our expectation is that, okay, now I am on a trajectory that's up and to the right. That my life is gonna be good, that my life's gonna be perfect, that I'm gonna have everything that I need, that I'm and have great wisdom and health and success and all of those things. And we leave that point, we leave the water, uh, we leave the Jordan River, and all of a sudden we make a hard left, and things happen that we weren't expecting, and our life all of a sudden gets tough. And we wonder, did it really work? Maybe I should run back to the river and get baptized again. Maybe I should do, I need to do something else. Did it really work? But look at the life of Jesus. That Jesus gets baptized in the River Jordan. The heavens open up. God says, you're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And in the very next thing, it says in verse 12 that the spirit immediately drove him out to the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. If you want more detail, go to Matthew 4. But we get this succinct message here that Jesus went from one of the very high points to one of the lowest points. That he spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted. 40 days of fasting and temptation, but all of that time uh, we're reminded that he wasn't alone. That at the end of those 40 days, the angels ministered to him. And now Jesus is ready to launch into ministry. You you see, we kind of think that, we kind of have this idea of how our life is supposed to go. And it doesn't always go there. And then we have to ask ourselves, then do I really believe, do I still believe who Jesus is? What, do I, what really matters in my life? What's really important? And this is the experience that Jesus had. He went to the river, he was baptized, and then he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. The other thing for us as we think about the story is that we think about our temptations and we need to understand that Jesus went through everything that we could ever go through. He had the same temptations, he had the same challenges that we experience in our lives. He's our example, he's our model. Now, verse 14 says this, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He starts his public ministry and and saying this, this is his message, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the message that Jesus came with. He said, The kingdom of God is at hand. You have been waiting for a kingdom. Well, I am telling you that the kingdom of God has shown up in your neighborhood. The kingdom of God has arrived because the kingdom of God isn't a building. The kingdom of God isn't a political structure. uh, The kingdom of God isn't a government. The kingdom of God is the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus shows up, the kingdom of God shows up. And Christ says, The kingdom of God is here. And here's what I want you to do I want you to repent and believe the good news. We're going to come back to this in a few minutes but I want you to pause for just a second and think about what this means. To repent literally means to turn around. Uh, It it comes from a couple of Greek words that that says to change your mind, to turn around, that I'm going one way, and when I repent, I turn around and go another way. Repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. Repentance isn't just saying, oh, I messed up again, but repentance is turning around. And, And then believe is turning toward. So when Jesus says, repent and believe, he's saying, I want you to turn around and I want you to turn toward me. That it's not just enough to turn around, but it's where are we turning to? Where are we facing? And Jesus says, I want you to turn around. I want you to repent. And then I want you to turn toward me. And he gives us this picture of what that looks like. In the next verses, it says, passing along the Sea of Galilee in verse 16, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So we come upon Simon, who is now gonna be Peter later on. Simon Peter, he and his brother Andrew are fishermen. That's what they do, that's their livelihood. They come from generations of fishermen. Fishermen. Jesus comes up to him and in verse 17 he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now there's a couple of things that are really critical for us. The first thing that Jesus says is follow me. He doesn't say here are a list of rules that I want you to obey and then you can be my disciples. Uh, He he doesn't say, here's here's a a bunch of things that you need to accomplish, and a bunch of things you need to learn. Here's here's your your memorization for the month. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. What it means to be a disciple, we get the word disciple from this word to follow, or these words to follow. Jesus says, follow me. That's the instruction. That's the command. What are you gonna do with that? You've been a fisherman your whole life you're really good at it that's how you make your living that's how you feed your family that's uh, what your father did that's what your grandfather did that's what generations of uh, fishermen in your family have done and now jesus says follow me and there's only one way to follow him you have to leave everything you have to leave everything behind and when we decide to follow jesus it means leaving behind all of the expectations that we had. It means leaving behind all of the selfishness that we had. It's leaving behind all of the security that we thought we deserved. It's leaving all of that behind. It's choosing to follow Jesus. And here's something that's awesome about followers. This isn't about his Twitter account. None of you have Twitter accounts. Okay, this this isn't about Instagram. We think we're so important. I I read this stuff all the time, that celebrities think they're so important because they have a hundred thousand people following them on Twitter, right? Oh, Jesus hung the stars, billions of stars in place. He, he created gravity so when those celebrities that are so important get up in the morning, they can actually stand up and they don't float up to the ceiling or they're not stuck in their beds, but Jesus created gravity just perfect for us. Jesus did all of that. He told, he told the Pharisees one time, if you don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out. That's Jesus. That's who he is. And we think we're a big deal because we have 100,000 people following us on Twitter. That is embarrassing. That is so insignificant. Or we think we have this great Instagram account with all of these people tracking, you know, what we ate for lunch today. That's, this isn't about our Twitter account. This isn't about our Instagrams account, our Instagram account. But Jesus says, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave everything. And if you want to follow Jesus, it's not a movie where you try to stay two cars behind. Right? Okay, you've all seen those movies, right? Stay two cars behind so they don't see you. You know, follow these guys around town, whatever it is. It's nothing like that but if you were a follower of Jesus in the first century that you get as close to him as you possibly can. You try to walk beside him, you try to walk just behind him. You don't want to miss anything that happens. You don't want to miss anything that he says. You want to stay in a position that at any moment in time you can reach out and touch him. He's that close that you're going to stay as close as you possibly can to Jesus. That's what it means to follow him. You can't do it haphazardly. You can't do it halfway. You've got to leave everything and keep up with Jesus. That's what he called those disciples. That's what he called Peter and Andrew to that day. To call them to leave the family business. He didn't say obey my rules or sign up for my course. He said, follow me. And that's what Jesus, when we decide to follow Jesus, that's what it means in our lives that we leave everything behind and we follow him. We say, Lord, I'm choosing you over everything else in my life. I'm choosing you first. And here's one of the other things is that choosing to follow Jesus always means that we're being called to something greater than we ever imagined, greater than we ever dreamed. Peter and Andrew could have been, you know, successful fishermen for the rest of their lives, mending their nets, uh, staying up all night to fish, being providers for their family. But Jesus was calling them something something bigger and more powerful they ever dreamed. He was calling them to something that had eternal significance. He was calling them to be part of changing the whole world, changing history. They didn't know any of this at that time. They didn't know what any of this meant at that moment, but they knew there was something about Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew that he was big enough and powerful enough that they needed to leave everything and follow him and see where it took them. And this is a part of the message for us that when we choose to follow Jesus, it might feel like you're giving up a lot of important things, but he's calling you to something that's greater than you ever dreamed. He's calling you to something that's more powerful than you can even imagine. You'll never know. And you'll never know what can happen unless you choose to follow him. Nobody, Nobody really wants to settle. Nobody really wants to coast. We do that. We settle sometimes. We coast sometimes because we've experienced failure. We've experienced fatigue. We, whatever it is, but nobody really wants that. What we really want is adventure. What we really want is to be part of something bigger than we are, bigger than we can imagine. And Jesus says to Peter and Andrew, I am calling you to something bigger you don't even know yet. You have no idea yet. It is going to be more dangerous It's going to be more painful, but it is going to be more glorious and more powerful than you could ever imagine. That's what I'm calling you to. And he calls them to this. And they follow him. They leave everything and follow him. And in verse 21, it says that they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue. There was teaching and the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught as one who had authority. And not as the scribes, they had all the information. They just didn't have the authority. They didn't have the power in their in their message. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man who cried out with an unseen uh, unclean spirit, and he cried out, "What have you to do with G- What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are." the Holy One of God. Isn't it interesting that in this moment that the enemy of this world, Satan, and I do believe, as much as I believe that, that, that God reigns, I believe there is an enemy in this world. There's a Satan. And, and they recognized Jesus before the religious people did. They could tell the difference before the, the, the intellectual and the educated could tell. They were so bound up in their information that they missed Jesus when he came. But this unclean spirit, this person (laughs) then recognized who he was, and Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent, and come out of him and the unclean spirit convulsing him and cried out with a loud voice and came out of him and they were amazed so that they questioned themselves saying what is this a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee everything changed at that moment everything changed right then for Jesus and imagine if you were following Jesus and your goal was to stay as close to Jesus as you possibly could, that at any given moment you could reach out and touch Jesus, you have a front row seat to what just happened. And my hunch is that it just scared the heck out of you that you weren't expecting that. You thought following Jesus is gonna be this awesome thing. Following Jesus is, is the, the trajectory of my life. I'm gonna become famous. I'm part of something that's gonna be big. I'm part of something that's gonna be awesome. And all of a sudden, you hear this person crying out, get away from us. What do you have to do? Have you come to destroy us? And you've never seen anything like that in your life. But Jesus is there. Jesus is the one with the authority. Jesus is the one with power. And you're right in the middle of it. You're right there. It goes on to talk about Jesus healing many people, including Peter's mother-in-law. That's a good thing. Who are you following? Jesus. He heals his, Peter's mother-in-law. Suddenly Peter's a hero in the family again. He's just left the family business. He's just, you know, made everybody mad, and now he's back. That's a good thing. Maybe that's why Jesus did it. I know you guys are really mad at Peter right now, but let me just tell you one of the benefits of following Jesus here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help your mother-in-law. That's a good thing. Well, then Jesus in verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go to the next towns that I may preach there, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, that region, Uh, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons, that that's what Jesus did, and the disciples are right there with him, following him everywhere he went, hearing the stories, uh, hearing the good news, hearing about the love of God, hearing what Jesus came to accomplish. They have a front row seat to all of that's going on, to everything. They're hearing the message of Jesus. They're with him. And I want you to look, think about verse 35 there because here's, here's the son of God and he gets up early in the morning and he finds a place all quiet, uh, a place all by himself, a desolate place, and he prays. And I just want you to think about this idea that if Jesus felt the need to find a place to be by himself, to talk with the father, it seems relatively obvious that that's something we ought to consider as well, right? If Jesus felt the need to do it, I should be compelled to do it. I I, I should be overwhelmed with my need to be alone with the Father, to to be with him. And so we get another picture of Jesus. What we get is his relationship with his Father. It's a picture of what Christ is offering us in terms of our relationship with him. Well, then there's another scene that I wanna get to really quickly, and that's this, in verse 40 it says, "'And a leper came to him, and imploring him, "'and kneeling, said to him, "'If you will, you can make me clean.'" And it says moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And so we have this interesting story that Mark has inserted in this place because he wants us to understand, he wants us to have this picture that the disciples, Jesus is going from town to town, to village to village. Uh, He's preaching the good news. The disciples are right there with him. He's healing many, but but somehow Mark wants us to see this one particular story. And there's a man there who was a leper and a leper was a skin disease, and it it, it could have been leprosy, it could have been all kinds of different things, but but leprosy was a horrible disease at the time Uh, in the first century. It was a death sentence in the first century. They were worried, they were superstitious, they thought it was contagious, so if you had leprosy, you were an outcast, you weren't allowed inside town. If you moved towards city, if you were starving to death, and you came into the village, you had to shout at the top of your lungs, unclean, unclean, so everybody could get out of your way, or you had to wear a bell or something and something that made noise on your cloak so that they would know that a leper is in our midst and we need to get out of the way so that we don't catch it everybody was afraid of lepers lepers were completely isolated they were lonely they were starving Uh, they were lost and one sees Jesus and he cries out to Jesus and he says if you will are willing I believe you can make me clean and it says, Jesus, move with pity or compassion. Now, I want you to picture this scene because remember what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That you're right around him. You're right next to him. You're as close as you can get. You want to hear every word. You want to be part of every experience. But here's a leper, and everything in you is telling you to run. That lepers are contagious. Lepers are dangerous. Lepers are supposed to be isolated. And here is one that's come up and thrown himself at the feet of Jesus. And you don't know if you should run as fast as you can or if you just should stay right there and see what's going to happen. But it seems like they're frozen in place. And the leper comes to Jesus. He asks for help. And Jesus looks at him with compassion and love and the scripture says that he reached out and he touched the leper. And the disciples are all thinking, we're done, it's over, he's going to ha- get leprosy. Oh, we've left, we've left our life's work for this, for this short time so that he can touch a leper and be- become sick. But what it says is that when he touched that leper, immediately he was cleansed, that he was healed. And Jesus is saying, look, if you follow me, there are gonna be moments when you are scared to death. There are gonna be moments when you think it's all over, but I am calling you to something greater, that I'm up to something that you don't completely understand. And in my love and in my compassion and my pity for those who are hurting, I am gonna get close enough that I can touch them. Do you know what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That we get close enough to lepers that we can touch them. That they're not there is nobody is an outcast in the kingdom of God. Nobody is so sick and, and so uh, so sinful, so far out that they can't experience the love of Jesus. But we are going to have to get close enough to touch them. We're going to have to be willing to risk that, because that's what Jesus does, and we're following Jesus. He never backed away from a leper. He never backed away from a sinner from a tax collector, or a prostitute, or any of those people that we consider the, that they would consider, especially in the first century, the bad people, but he got close enough to touch them. And that leper was cleansed, and the disciples are right there, standing there with Jesus. T- to be there meant they had to be close enough to touch that leper too. But it also means that they were close enough to see the miracle that Jesus performed. That when we're following Jesus like that, not only are we close enough to to see the the scary stuff, to see the challenges, but we're close enough to see the miracles too. We're close enough to see what happens when, when Jesus touches a person's life. Reached out and touched him. And Jesus, you know, in the story, Jesus charges him, don't tell anybody. Okay, seriously, Jesus, this guy's a leper. He's an outcast. He knows he's gonna die. You've just touched him. He's healed. He's going to tell everybody. He went out from there, okay, thank you, Jesus, and told everybody he saw. Uh, and, And people looked at him, and they probably didn't even believe it was him, but he, the word began to spread about what Jesus did, and the disciples are there. They're right there, a part of the whole story. Well, we're on a journey in the gospel of Mark. And we want to get as close to Jesus as we possibly can. We want to be followers of Jesus. We're going to experience the fear. We're going to experience the challenge. But we're going to experience the miracles as well as we follow him. As we choose to to turn around and turn toward Jesus. Here's, Here's part of the big story that I want us to understand this morning. Repent tells us to turn around. We're going the wrong way. Turn away from practicing religion and experience new life in Christ. Turn from the old ways and experience life in Jesus. And where we get the whole truth, all of this none, is going to come clear to them when when Jesus is on the cross, when they have experienced the cross and the resurrection, they're going to understand finally this is who Jesus is. This is what it really mattered. That until then, they're following him, they're trusting him, they've given up everything to be with Jesus, but they're not going to completely understand it for, for several years uh, until they see face to face that Christ came to give himself on the cross, that he rose again, that he has filled them with his spirit, that that he has sent his spirit to be with his people and then they're going to know everything that comes to fruition from them and then they're going to start on their own they're going to start on their own trusting Jesus into the hard places in the world here's a great quote from one of my old seminary professors Lou Smeeds it says it may be a very bad thing that I needed God to die for me but it's a wonderful thing that God thinks I'm worth dying for isn't that a great thing? It may be a bad thing that I needed God to die for me, but it's a wonderful thing that God thinks that I'm worth dying for. That when Christ came, you see, we, we could get caught up in our circumstances. We can get caught up on our own lives. We can get caught up in what we think is important. And, and sometimes we even get caught up in our own stuff, our own mistakes, our own failures. And those things stare us in the face. And and when we get caught in those things that are staring us in the face, we can't see enough. And Jesus is there saying, follow me. And we're saying, I don't know. I can't get this stuff out of the way. I don't know what to do with all the things in my life that have been holding me back, all the things in my life that I feel guilty about. And Jesus says, I want you to let go of those things and I want you to follow me. I want you to turn around and I want you to turn toward me another great quote from an old friend of mine. Uh, I have this friend, well, he's passed away now, Brennan Manning, who um, was a Catholic priest for 29 years. And and then uh, Brennan got married, and suddenly he wasn't a priest anymore. And uh, I, I met Brennan and realized, man, he had all these writing and speaking opportunities and and all of them just completely disappeared. He taught at Harvard. and I mean, he, he was a well-known guy. He, he did all of these things. And, and all of a sudden, all these speaking engagements went away. And he was defrocked. And all of this happened. And, and he, uh, that's when I met him. And, and we became friends. He became a dear friend of mine. Another thing about Brennan was that he was an alcoholic. And as a priest, he, he was a, a passed-out-in-a-ditch alcoholic. He tells a story one time that this that he was passed out on the road, and this woman uh, and her little boy, um, this woman grabbed her little boy by the hand and said, Don't get near that man. And they, they didn't know that he was a priest. And and Christ got a hold of Brennan's life and turned his life completely inside out. That Brennan made this hard turn away from his other life and and toward Jesus, and here's what he says. He says, when I get honest, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said I'm a rational animal, but I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. As Thomas Merton put it, a saint is not someone who is good, but who experiences the goodness of God. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. Um, I asked uh, the band if they'd play one more song for us and then I'll come up and finish. But I want you, as you sing this song, it's one of my favorites, so be kind. It's one of my favorite songs. But, but when, as you sing it, think about the words in this song. Think about what the writer of this song is trying to communicate to us about the goodness of Christ, about what it means to turn around and to follow him. Thank you. I asked uh, Aaron to have the band sing that song because uh, particularly, I I, I love the song, but I love the line, and um, as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Uh, And and then uh, that line that, um, if you left the grave behind, so will I. But that's the promise uh, of Jesus. So here's Here's what I want you to think about this morning. I think for all of us, Jesus is calling us this morning that he's issued a challenge to us, a command to us to follow him. And some of you might be feeling like, you know what, I I said a prayer when I was six. Um, I I did what I needed to do, but I think Jesus is saying, yeah, but will you follow me? There's a big difference. Uh, maybe, maybe we're thinking, you know, well, I go to church, you know, a couple times a month, you know, I mean, I'm, I show up and, and that's awesome. Thank you. Um, well, there, there are four Sundays every month, but just saying, but, but we have all these things that we think that they're, they're little performance things. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about that. I want to know if you're going to follow me. Are you willing to, to follow me? Are you willing to turn around and turn toward me and leave all of that other stuff behind, all the other performance things, all, all the other expectations, and follow me. And it's going to be risky and, and it's going to be scary sometimes, but it's to a bigger life than we could ever imagine. And that's, the, that's what we're being invited to this morning. That's what Christ is asking us. Will you, will you follow him? Will you make a decision to follow Jesus this morning? And it means letting go of a bunch of stuff. But it's a bigger greater life than you could ever imagine. So make that decision. Maybe you've made it. Maybe you've made it a hundred times in your life. Maybe you've made it a billion times in your life, but Christ is asking you to make it again, to make it afresh, uh, to make it new in your life. Are you willing to be a follower, to get so close that you can touch him, that you can hear him, that you have a front row seat of all the things that he is wanting to do in your life and in this world? W- w- will you? Well, you follow Jesus? We're going to continue in this journey with Christ. And, and I'm really excited about next week because we have a special guest next week, Stefan Gustafsson. And he is from Stockholm, Sweden. And I, I know that this is a shock, but the kingdom of God is huge. The kingdom of God is really big. And there are people in Sweden who love Jesus and are trying to reach their country with the gospel. They're trying to train young pastors to plant churches all over Europe. They're, they're, they're involved in all kinds of amazing, life-changing things. They have left everything to follow Jesus and, and Stefan will be with us next Sunday and I want to encourage you to be here because I think that it will touch your heart and it'll challenge you. And then we'll continue on in our, our journey in Mark after that But the big the big question this morning is who you're following and Jesus is calling you to follow, follow him. Um, we'll have our prayer partners in the corner if you'd like prayer this morning. We have our prayer table that's always available. Uh, if, you're, if you're here every week, if you're brand new uh, and you don't know a soul here, but you can still stop at that table and if you write a prayer request down, we will commit to praying for you and praying with you about whatever it is that is going on in your life. So take advantage of that as well. And I want you guys to, I want you to know that your heavenly father is pleased. uh, That you're his beloved child and he's pleased with you. And I love you too. God bless.